Hello and welcome to the special bonus episode of The Dairy Edge. Chagas are running a weekly Let's Talk Dairy webinar series, which is also being made available as a podcast. On this week's webinar, James Dunn joins Stuart Childs to give an overview of the Ballyhays Open Day. Okay, good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to this week's Let's Talk Dairy. Um, so today I'm joined by James Dunn, and uh, James is my colleague up in the, the Northern Territory, we'll say in the BMW region, as we refer to it as. Um, and I suppose it's interesting, James, I suppose, to be talking to you today in the context of the situation that's happening in the Netherlands at the moment, where there's been serious um, implications for farmers after being implemented by the government there. Uh, major issues around their future in terms of what numbers of animals they're going to be able to keep, etc. And it ties in a little bit with, uh, and I think I might have said it on the webinar last week, but I know I said it at a monitor walk that we were at, that I was speaking to a Dutch guy last week who's moved to Ireland and is actually managing a farm here in Ireland for a guy. And I asked him why he'd moved over here. And he actually had been involved in a, in a partnership arrangement or in a farming arrangement in Holland. And because of the changes that were implemented a couple of years ago, which obviously had impact on their numbers back then as well, he actually had to leave that arrangement because it was no longer viable because they had to reduce the stock numbers. And he said, uh, and I think it really tees up what you're going to be talking about in terms of what's happening in Ballyhays next week, um, that Irish farmers have a chance to actually do something or to take take grasp hold of the situation maybe and make it, uh, t- steer it in the right direction really, I suppose, for themselves but you have to do it fast, he said. So um, I suppose that tees it up. As I said, there's lots of open days on. The IHFA one is on today, as we would have discussed last week with Lawrence Feeney. Next week, we have the Ballyhays open day. So I suppose it's the Northern equivalent to Moorpark. And James is just going to talk to me today a little bit about the, the plan. So the, the title of the, the open day, James, is Future Proofing Irish Dairy Systems. And you have a number of, I suppose, main areas that you want to, to cover um, or that you're going to be talking about. So we're just going to maybe just give people a, an idea of uh, some of the, the bits and pieces that are going to be covered on the day. And it's, of course, sure. just to point out to people as well that it's, it's um, well, it's a nice step up the road from, from us in the South. It's going to be a day that will be worth doing. Uh, and like it's the equivalent, as I said, in Moore Park, maybe on a little smaller scale potentially, but um, still covering a lot of the good things. And I suppose for people... More, more park is often knocked for being a dry farm and easy to do this and that and more park and so forth. Belly Hayes is a little bit more uh, trickier type of soils and so forth. So for people maybe that mightn't want or think that they relate well to more park, then Belly Hayes is a good option for you if, uh, if you're available next week on the 13th. So I suppose, James, just in, to kind of, as I said, to give people an idea what you're going to be covering off. Um, we've seen a significant lift in production costs, uh, especially in feed and fertilizer and fuel, obviously, as well in the last six to nine months. Uh, and you're talking about um, maintaining profit margins. What are you going to be discussing in relation to that in Belly Hayes next week? Yeah, so look, at thanks, Stuart, I suppose. Um, I suppose, firstly, in terms of your point around um, what we're going to discuss is applicable, I suppose, to everybody across the country, Stuart, and we would encourage people to to come up the road. Um, from a fir- from, firstly, from a point of view in terms of, I suppose, all the technologies and practices that we're going to talk about next week, Stuart, or the vast majority of them are going to have a positive impact on profitability, which is the case across the board when we, with regard to a lot of the technology which we speak about. But look, at given the fact in terms of where the cost increases are, are at um, over the last maybe nine to 10 months and the increases that are there, 
there's actually one of the main board stewards is looking at cost inflation and how we manage that. Um, and there's a very good paper put together there by Trevor Dunwoody and Aidan Cushnahan um, looking at that. And if we look at that, I think Patrick was on a couple of weeks ago in terms of where we would have presented some of those figures in terms of the cost maybe increasing from 1500 per cow and heifer unit up to close to 2100 which is it's a 40% increase in actual costs. So without giving it all away, Stuart, I suppose, um, in terms of some of the key messages from that paper, I suppose, and something we're not very good at possibly at farm level is first and foremost in terms of having handle on the costs, um, cash budgeting. Um, it's not something that's widespread out there, but I suppose it's something that we would be encouraging and will be discussed on the day. It doesn't have to be um, a three or four page Excel, Stuart, which I think is the important point. It can be as easy as a couple of sheets of paper, but it's just getting a handle on where are your actual costs, where are your cash outgoings, um, what are the projected outgoings and what are the projected incomes. And I suppose it just gives a chance it, it, it sets the scene in terms of is there areas where costs can be saved? Um, it gives you a chance, I suppose, to look at um, capital investments and assess them. Should they happen? Shouldn't they happen? And also, I suppose, it gives farmers a chance, Stuart, to deal with deficits and surplus um, and put plans in place before they arise. So I suppose that's the starting point. Within that, then, look at Throughout the day, the focus is, is going to be on improving grass, improving our grass util, utilization, improving the management around that. Um, how can we extend days of grass? There's going to be messages right across the board and live demonstrations um, throughout the day on that front. But just from a perspective, and, and you brought it back to in terms of what's actually happening in Holland, I suppose bringing it back to in terms of a message around what is your farm actually capable of growing? And as a result, I suppose, what number of cows should you be carrying? And that ties into what Patrick would have discussed a couple of weeks ago in terms of from a winter feed budget point of view, if there's farmers out there that have been having to purchase a certain percentage of feed, I suppose there's a couple of things there. Is it secure? Um, is it available? Um, the big one isn't there in terms of what price will it be? But I suppose what feeds into that, and one of the points in the paper then is, you have to assess that on, I suppose, the, the lower performing cows within the herd, Stuart, and often we do those sums maybe pitted against the average of the herd. But in theory, really, it's probably that last five or 10% of cows that you are actually um, feeding with those purchased inputs, you know? Yeah, okay. Um, so again, touching on the, the Dutch situation, I suppose, and the, the requirement for us to deliver sustainable systems in, ev in every sector, like transport, all of this, like with the new carbon budgets that are coming in, there's going to be requirements for every industry to get more um, sustainable. And I suppose, to be fair, we're a good bit down the track, I'd say, ahead of a lot of the others. But what does a sustainable dairy farming system in the BMW region look like into the future? Firstly, I would say it probably doesn't look an awful lot different than a sustainable dairy farm across the country. We probably have to maybe do things a little bit different and anyone on a heavy soils farm will have to do things a little bit different maybe um, in certain parts of the country. But look at the key technologies, the key 
practices remain the same, maybe with a little bit of tweaking along the way. But um, what does it look like, I suppose, firstly, to bring it back to that in terms of the appropriate stocking rate, in terms of what, what the farm can actually grow to be self-sufficient from a feed point of view? Um, and outblocks play a key role in that, Stuart, and actually in terms of developing these outblocks, in terms of that they do become a good support rather than solely talking about what can we grow on the milking platform. Um one key point which is going to be discussed heavily and there's been keen interest in it and we'll discuss it a little bit later is i suppose how can we reduce our reliance on chemical n um and there's been a lot of interest in in, in the most recent study in ballyhays in terms of look at that's going to have have to happen with the inclusion of clover in our swords so that that has to be there. That's going to be a longer term thing. It's going to take six, seven, eight years at commercial farm level in terms of what I suppose we need farms in terms of to be thinking in that space and to be starting that process, Stuart. And the final point to make from a sustainability point of view would be how we manage our nutrients. Um, and look, there's been a big focus on that and will be throughout the day. Um, and I suppose where is that going to come from in terms of the, the nutrients that's on farm um, making better use of our slurry? ensuring that we have adequate slurry storage, ensuring that we spread it at the correct rates and the correct time, and I suppose through the correct technology, which is your um, low emission slurry spreading technology. And then from a nitrogen point of view, and Ballyhays has been using protected urea for the, for the last number of years, and there's plot trials ongoing there as well. Um, and absolutely no issues in terms of the same level of grass grown right across um, the farm as there would have been um, and, and no issue in terms of um, grass growth. So look, at that's going to be the mainstay in terms of into the future from, from, a, from a nutrient point of view. Yeah, and I suppose, James, coming back to, as I said, my, my Dutch friend will call him, um, what he said to me, like people really do have to engage with the clover. Like there's, there's no, okay, we've probably been, We've had have had experiences at Clover on farm in Ireland maybe 20, 25 years ago. We didn't really know how to manage it well. Probably it either dominated or didn't survive at all. But there's key learnings we got from the day for everybody in the area. I suppose the big thing that's been asked is can it be grown in the in the heavier type soils, mm. maybe, and how will it last? So uh, yes. it, there's there's um good information on the day in relation to that. Absolutely. And I suppose look at sure in terms of on the clover front, I I, I think Possibly in a lot of cases there was clover included, mm. um, but it wasn't managed for clover, as you say. Yeah. Um, and as a result, maybe it's got a bad name, but just maybe if we do touch on the the actual study that's there at the moment. Um, so the most recent study is looking at that clover establishment and it started in 2021. Um, really, the title of the project is looking at reducing the end surplus within our systems. And that's going to come from two fronts within the study. It's going to come from a reduction of chemical N and it's also going to come from um, a reduction in concentrate usage. But if we focus, the main part of it is going to be in terms of the, the clover establishment, in terms of reducing our chemical N. Um, the idea in terms of was, I suppose, there was a lot of questions out there, Stuart, um, and Donald will say that, I think Donald's on the signpost webinar tomorrow, maybe discussing this in more detail, but he'll say that in terms of a lot of the questions, firstly, what we would have heard from groups coming into Ballyhays is, will you get it established on heavier clay soils? Will it persist? What impact is it going to have on the winter feed budget? Will you get the animal performance benefits? 
how's your pasture grown? Is it going to hold up? Are we going to be fit to grow the same level of grass? Can we grow more? And I suppose then finally, um, from a financial point of view, um, how is it going to stack up in terms of the finances? And as a result, the decision was made at the start of the study, I suppose, to accelerate the process. Um, and with that in mind, 25% of, of that area was receded um, and also a, 15, a further 15% in um, 2021 and the same in 2022. Okay. Now, that's not something we would be advocating at commercial farm level, I suppose. Yeah, of course, it's, yeah. It, because look, that's going to have implications, which will be explained on the day in terms of the actual winter feed budget. And even the management around it, um, Stuart, is difficult. At commercial farm level, look, at we'd prefer to see people maybe doing 10% receding and possibly 10% oversowing and doing it well and not having an impact on the feed budget. But in order to answer those questions, Stuart, a lot of these trials only last for four or five years. In order to answer those questions that I outlined, the idea was that we would... Um, um, accelerate, I suppose, that process in terms of establishing clover on the farm. Um, in terms of the results to date, um, which people might have an interest in, obviously, is the most recent clover content, Stuart, there in June, um, don't only circulated them there at the weekend, was 29% average clover content on the oversown paddocks and 24% average clover content on the receded paddocks. And is that receded, including what was receded there recently as well? No, that's no, okay. solely on the 2021 okay. um, paddocks. And I suppose it's worth noting that there was six paddocks oversown within that treatment. One failed, but they actually got very, very good clover establishment on the other five, which would be different than, than, than what we would be seeing possibly yes. at commercial farm levels, Stuart. So possibly there's something in that in terms of on the day, in terms of to tease that out, what's happened differently with regards to the oversowing on the farm as well. Okay, so I'll stick with the grass there, James. Actually, just um, in you're saying that you're wondering, can you grow as much or grow more even? And, and obviously growing as much grass as possible. You mentioned about trying to reduce the concentrate. So there's no point in reducing the concentrate if you're not growing the grass. But if we're growing the grass, it gives us the scope to, to, the scope to reduce the concentrate. But what about utilising it all? Absolutely. And that's, that's always the big question, especially in in terms of groups visiting Bally Hayes, in terms of the heavy soils program, Stuart, in terms of how do we actually utilize more grass? And it's predominantly in the, in the first round and in the last round, really, where grazing conditions can be difficult. Um, the previous study in Bally Hayes would have looked at that in terms of an extended grazing group versus an actual average for the area. And I suppose to summarize it in short, um, and it can be discussed for, it will be discussed further next week. Um, but to summarise it in short, there's 35 days of a difference in terms of grazing season length between the two groups, okay? And when you actually look at the data in terms of how that was achieved, the age-old practice, Stuart, of on-off grazing, if on-off grazing didn't happen, the vast majority of those days wouldn't have been got if you get what I'm saying and it's just it's it's part and parcel definitely of um utilizing more grass on a on a on a farm with slightly heavier soils absolutely and um, but I suppose the point being on that and there's always the questions around the level of poaching stewards um, is it having an impact on soil structure through that study 
there was measurements taken on the level of poaching across the four years and also the bulk density of the of the soil, which is a soil structure measure. Um, and there was no negative impact between the two groups. So there was actually no difference between the two groups. And coming back to it again, it's really down to the on-off grazing. But look, at we've heard it a million times, good roadway infrastructure, sure. Plenty of spore roadways, correct paddock setups in terms of good square paddocks, not too deep. And look at, in terms of on-off grazing, we need good facilities in the yard as well, in terms of being fit to bring cows back in, that they're all fit to get a bit of silage. Um, so all of that, I suppose, ties into actually utilising more grass. And that's the thing, Ballyhazes grew, it grows 14 tonne of grass. It, they, that's the average for the last seven, eight, nine years. Um, we can grow as much grass as, as as the vast majority of farms in the country. It's just actually utilising it that there probably is, uh, there's a greater level of work um, involved, you know. Yeah, yeah, and of course, the, the other thing is having common sense uh, there are times when cows just stay in sheds there too, like they're not put out for the sake of trying to get the days and grass like they're not Absolutely. put out because it makes sense to put them out. Absolutely. And you and, and I thought look at and Barry will be there on the day where he can be questioned in terms of how he manages that. But like there is days where you will get it wrong. Mm. Um and as you said, there's days where you, where you just have to give up and you have to come in for whatever it may be, two or three grazings. Um but I suppose the point being is when you stop it's really reassessing and when can I start again type of thing rather yeah. than staying in for a week or 10 days because time time moves quickly at that time of year. Yeah, so I suppose, um, again, the other hot topic then, of course, is carbon efficiency. So the nitrates is the big thing that's kicking off in Holland there at the moment and look, water quality is obviously nearly nearly even a bigger problem or potentially problem banana skin for the Irish industry at the minute, even ahead of the carbon efficiency. But making everything as lean as possible in terms of the carbon footprint in the short term with carbon neutrality maybe being a longer term potentially. I and mean, people might think that that's mad, but it, it, it may not be beyond the bounds of possibility for agriculture, especially with GWP there and all those uh, changes that could potentially come in that we may actually be able to achieve um, carbon neutral farming potentially. Um, while the breeding side of it isn't the only piece of the jigsaw, what uh, what can different breeding decisions, how, they, how can they influence a farm's carbon hoof print, we call it. Yes. Um, yeah, and um, Donna, Barry will be there on the day. Actually, Donna and myself are on the board, I suppose, looking at this. But look at it. it it's well published here in terms of we know higher EBI, higher EBI cows um, have a lower carbon footprint. And I look at it. We look at the stats from the inception of EBI, um, a kilo of milk solids, the carbon footprint of it today is 14% lower than it was then. So I suppose that's the direction of travel. But um, within that, then I suppose is the real questions in terms of how can we actually accelerate that? Um, what are we looking for? I suppose what we're looking for is really robust, highly fertile, long-lasting cows, which is going to have a positive impact from a from a herd maturity point of view in terms of uh, in terms of additional output, but also from uh, the percentage of replacements and, and that's required, Stuart, and the impact that that's going to actually have on the total number of stock um, required on the farm. Within that, then, I suppose, what, what we want to look at is in terms of how can that actually be achieved. So in terms of accelerating, I suppose, that genetic gain, Stuart, through the use of sex semen, selecting the best cows in terms of... Uh, the best cows in terms of that should get dairy and um, semen 
it's allowing us then, I suppose, um, a greater proportion of the cows from the onset of breeding to, to get high beef merit bulls, which is also going to have a positive impact um, from a calf quality point of view. And then I suppose, look, at finally, there's, there's the question around actual performance and the idea around voluntary culling there as well, Stuart, you know. There's some very nice data actually going to be presented on the day in terms of actually looking at the performance of herds in the BMW region over the last seven seasons and the impact the breeding decisions have had on those farms. So when we actually run the analysis from a profitability point of view as well, um, it tallies um, it tallies up with the national figure in terms of every one euro increased in EBI actually resulted in um, just shy of one euro eighty in in actual in actual profit. Okay, very good. And you, you talked about profit there now. So some people say it's not all about the money, but no matter how much you love farming or dairy farming, it needs to be making a good return to stay at it. So you kind of touched a little bit on maybe what you're going to do there in terms of the financials. But I suppose the, the actual the budgeting piece for for a change this year is actually managing the money that's mm-hmm. going to be maybe available to the farm. Yeah. Um, because the I, I suppose yourself and Patrick would have done a nice bit of work late last year and early on this year. Um, and obviously Trevor Donlan was on with me there a couple of weeks ago as well and would have said the same that there was concern maybe that the milk price wasn't going to be able to deal with the rising costs but it has managed to do that and actually farms are going to be in a pretty strong financial position dairy farms I suppose in particular will be in strong enough financial position again this year so it's important from that point of view that there's a bit of financial thinking I suppose we won't, we won't say budgeting or analysis maybe, but and I think you kind of touched on it there as well, James, in terms of how you said it. Like, I mean, we don't expect people to be necessarily doing Excel budgets, etc. Like, look, there are people that love doing them and that's grand. Yeah. Like the person that comes in on the day that the, the milk check goes into the account or whatever and sits down with their sheet of paper, ideally, I suppose, in the notebook that you could look back at again, it would be the best scenario, really. But like just actually budgeting out what's come in, as you said there earlier, and what's left to go out or what's going likely to go out. Are you going to kind of be touching on kind of that stuff? Absolutely. And look, at as, as you rightly pointed out, when we started looking at that last back end, there was real concern in terms of, we were talking about budgets in terms of a big reduction possibly coming with regard to profitability at farm level. And thankfully that hasn't, um, that hasn't come true in terms of where milk price is at. But I suppose... Where do we spend it? How do we spend it? Should we be saving some? And I suppose I'd be strong in terms of saying it's a good year in terms of maybe to, to be rebuilding some of the, the kitty as such in terms of the, the rainy day fund, Stuart, you know. But on the first board, Donald Patton is actually looking at in terms of the performance of the financial performance of the Bally Hayes Dairy Herd. Um, where that stacks again, I suppose, where we're running at from a national farm survey point of view, and then within that, what targets are we setting? So there's going to be a full board dedicated in terms of actually looking at the finances, um, not only from a Ballyhays perspective, but I suppose the key KPI, Stuart, in terms of what's driving profitability on our farms and what can we do to improve it. Um, Trevor will deal with more in the budget and piece in terms of, as you say, minding the money as such. Um, and it's really look at 
as you say, it's 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 going to be um, a good year, and Trevor would have highlighted that, Donlan, in terms of um, profits. But it's what do we do with it? Can we invest it on farm where we're going to get a good return, or um, in terms of actually building up a bit of a rainy day fund to ensure that we um, we don't find ourselves into issue, with issues in the future? Yeah, and sure. Ultimately, I suppose it's kind of trying to get the balance right between them all, and uh, the the own the. The, the scenario we would like to try and avoid is that people end up on tax spend day, basically spending spend money. needlessly. Getting, yeah. the, getting the phone call from the carton to say you may go and spend um, 10, 20, 30,000, whatever it may be. Yeah. Um, and the easiest thing is to to make the phone call to a guy down the road and you have it spent in a very short period of time, sure. <laughs> Not that there's anything wrong with the machines, of course, but uh, not. as long as there's a bit of strategy into how they're purchased. Yeah. So, like, one, I suppose the one thing that I'd be saying is, like, the, the gap handles, the roadways, like you talked about there, especially for farms need to kind of improve grazing infrastructure. That's always good investment. Like, and that that's real future-proofing because when you get tricky spells in in future years, then you have, you have your business future-proofed in terms of you'll be able to get out, get on, get off. And so forth, and investment in the yard as well as the other thing, like like you said, headspace is a critical factor. Yep. Slurry storage, all of yep. these things, and you can't do them in from the fifteenth of October to the first of November. Basically, like there's a bit of planning, there's a bit of bits and pieces need to go into them. So, um, yeah, look, the, it, go on, the, sorry, the, the, the last point maybe on that, which which we'll, when we're looking at the data in terms of the breeding decisions that's been made as. Um, within that BMW region. We actually looked at a cohort of farmers as well, Stuart, that have made big gains in terms of the the their herd EBI. And within that cohort, we, we identified that, look, at actually a lot of people went out there um, and invested in breeding stock as well. And I think there's a real opportunity this year. Um, look, we've mentioned voluntary culling and it's been mentioned for the last number of months, Stuart, and rightly so. But when you look at cull cow price and the value of culls, possibly, and I'm not setting prices, but possibly compared to high EBI in-calf heifers, um, there's an opportunity for a lot of herds to possibly go and invest in 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 on that front as well in terms of making improvements from a from a herd level, depending on where they're at from a from a herd EBI point of view. Yeah, and of course, George's uh, figures would have shown um, previously as well that a February calving heifer will produce as much as your late March, early April, maybe even a May uh, late calving cow. So your great cow that you might think that you're holding on to, she doesn't produce a whole lot in the round of the year if she's dried off before Christmas. So it's a grading up, we call it, maybe. It's, it's, it's a great time. I think it's a great opportunity to clean up herds. Yeah. Um, even and you might be having a conversation on when to pull the bull, but like that again very good so if you don't no, want to make hammers they have to go soon they have to stop soon absolutely now yeah. you said it so it's a, it's a great opportunity I think on that front as well yeah so look um, a, a good day in store please go, and the weather forecast is actually looking good I think for the coming week so hopefully you'll get a, a good day for it and some very interesting stuff as I said, um, reinforcing that a lot of these messages can be delivered in the in the northern territory of the country, but messages that are pertinent to any farmer across the country. And as as you've been saying to people that there's opportunities for groups to head up there for a day out if they want to as well, um, and more than welcome, obviously. So uh, thanks for coming on today, James. I uh, wish everybody well for the week. I'm actually going to pick up on a, a piece that you're talking about there, James, because... 
we've a small bit of a concern about fodder budgets, even though we haven't started second cuts yet, really. Um, there would appear that there could be a possibility second cut yields could be back. So we might just pick up a little bit in that short piece next week on fodder budgets, just to make sure that we go into the winter well prepared and maybe spend that money filling a gap if we need to fill it. So um, thanks for coming on, James, and we'll talk to everybody next week and take care in the meantime. That's all for this week's Let's Talk Dairy webinar series. And don't forget to look out for more bonus episodes each week. I'll be back with our usual Dairy Edge interview on Monday, so do listen in then. I'm Emma-Louise Coffey and thanks for listening.